0: So I guess one of the things that I became um, interested in through the book was, you know, half of the book actually focuses on Māori as part of the Pacific region and Māori who have moved around the region. And then the other half kind of focuses on Māori and Pacifica communities within sort of the New Zealand context. And, um, of course, once you start looking at Māori outside New Zealand, you you realise that that's another whole conversation that we have in places – but we don't we don't have as much as um as much as we could. Um, you know, one in five of us now lives outside Aotearoa. and we know that's a reality because we know that a whole lot of our country emptied out to go to Australia over the last few years. But actually, we've had this history of sort of leaving Aotearoa and looking around the world and setting up new communities, or just kind of going on personal journeys for you know two hundred years. Um, And we have some pretty prominent people who have headed off around the place and others who are less prominent but who are still kind of Māori heading off and having incredible Māori experiences. Um, You know, just a few weeks ago I was at the um, uh, symposium they had at the University of Western Sydney commemorating 200 years since Samuel Marsden's um, 1814 sermon. Um, And it was based over there so it was mostly. A, I think I was the only non-Northerner in the room, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So it was a it was a, it's a northern story that particular story of early Sydney. But um, you know, there are there are so many fascinating stories. We've got two centuries of Maori presence, you know, in some of these parts of Sydney. Um, and so we we sort of start to think about what it means to be Maori outside of Old um, And I think we we can again sometimes kind of talk about our connections to land which are incredibly important connections but in ways that we forget that there are other really important connections as well and um, one of the kind of I guess phrases that I ended up kind of thinking about that came back to me a few times was the idea of manu out and I started to think what happened if we thought about what we might kind of formally call the Maori diaspora, so Maori who don't live in Aotearoa or Tuaiponamu but live elsewhere even though their sense of home is, is always, you know, these places are home. Um, and I thought the Manu Ote is a it's a traditional form of kite. Um, and I kind of in some ways came upon it when I was, you know, became interested in Maori forms of um, producing tapa. Um, which was a practice that was continued up until post-contact that we would produce this tupper, even though it wasn't like the tupper in the tropical Pacific where the paper mulberry tree gets big enough to make sheets of paper we, we kind of, you know, would make paper big enough to make a pair of earrings, you know, or a nice little adornment for a cloak but why would you bother remembering that right? And so I became interested in thinking about this kind of way that tupper became this, this way of preserving this knowledge of who we were. The manu out there is one of the, the uses that we put, um, uh, that we had for our, our tapa, that the manu out there, one, one of the ways of making a Māori kite, or sometimes adorning a Māori kite, would be to use the tapa in order to, to kind of, um, to, to be a part of this kite that would then go into the air. Um, what what does it mean to think about diaspora as Manu You know, any of us who've had any kind of relationship with a kite, whether it's <laughs> like a newspaper and wool one with a couple of, you know, mm. drinking straws when you're a kid or whatever, all the way through to the fancy ones, you know, you kinda of think about people down on the ground holding on to their kite. And you think about the kite kind of flying ahead, and you think about the string, and you think about the relationship between all of these things. What happens if we think about the Maori diaspora as the manu aute, Um, as kind of the kite that's flying? Now, I'm not trying to set up a kind of um, a European hierarchy of things kind of higher and lower. I wouldn't say the diaspora is kind of having a higher, better, more ideal experience than those on the ground. Um Instead, I would think about the idea of, you know, distance and closeness and how it's incredible how the, the manu there, despite its distance, um, is still um, its trajectory, its ability to move and the way that it moves is shaped by its relationship to the ground and who's holding on to it and the strength of that rope, yeah? Um, the manu there kind of gives those on the ground... Something to look at, something to do, a way to think about being what it means to be on the ground. The Manu itself is kind of um, is able to go into different places and exists in different places. I think the important thing is the string and the idea of the holding on to the string. What happens if we're so busy talking about other things? We're gonna let go of the string. What does this look like in terms of like literature? Um, and I became interested in, you know, not just the writers who are Manu Aote, Venice Winera, who I've already mentioned, and all these others. But what happens if we think about the ways that the Māori diaspora, Māori outside Aotearoa, have actually already been talked about in books that we're already quite familiar with? because we haven't been looking for these stories, we haven't noticed them in the same way. And I guess the most um, explicit example I can think of is The Whale writer. A book which, when it came out as a novella, you know, in the mid nineteen eighties, um, you know, it's it well written uh, by Witi Himara. So, so he, you know, Witi wrote that, you know, when he was living in, in New, New York. York, right? So he is part of the Maori diaspora as he's writing, and, and he, he 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 very publicly tells the story about how he had his daughters visiting, and there was a a stranding of a whale in the Hudson That's River, and then he kind of he kind of goes, well, we have stories about whales too. So we have this story, which we now think of as this kind of archetypal, deeply Māori story, which was written on, what, the 32nd floor of this building in New York City, um, and inspired by the grounding of a, you know, stranding of a whale in the Hilton River. So when we look at that book and kind of go, you know, what's happening here in terms of the relationship between Māori and Aotearoa? And in particular, when we look at the book and kind of put the film to one side, right? Because the film does a, a really different job than the book. The book has this whole completely different angle on what it is to be Māori. You know, the book is actually narrated from the point of view of Uncle Rawori. That's the uncle that kind of is like the hard case guy in the movie. But actually, the uncle is the narrator of the book. And he goes halfway through the book and lives in Sydney for a while. And then he goes from Sydney and goes up and lives in Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. And when he's in Papua New Guinea, although he goes there with his white Australian mate, whose family are like colonial you know, plantation owners in Papua New Guinea, it's when he's in New Guinea that he kind of understands himself as an indigenous person of the Pacific. Um, and he talks about, he kind of uses the language and he kind of starts to talk about indigenous Pacific people as, you know, I understood the iwi. Um, he uses our words to talk about their social structures. And at the end of the day, there's this kind of, this event that happens, a car crash, and it's kind of terrible. And, and this phrase that comes through is, a cuz is a kaz," right? And how is that for a way to think about Maori connections with the Pacific, right? A cuz is a cuz. And he talks about that when he's in Sydney, right, before he goes to New Guinea. He he talks about the cousins. He talks about all of the reasons that Māori end up in Sydney, right? He talks about the discomfort of some Māori in um, some Māori contexts in New Zealand where they feel um, that they're not able to be who they are, particularly in relation to their sexuality and gender identity. And so they have this... um, this kind of sense of refuge and a kind of sense of relief in Sydney and that sense of of having a place as Maori in Sydney um, is undermined somewhat by kind of homesickness, right? Um, but it's not the kind of homesickness that actually makes you want to move home, right? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. nostalgia. It's the importance of relationship. But there's a reason that these people are in Sydney and interestingly this is echoed or kind of the prequel perhaps to Witty's novel we might think of is Evelyn Patoel with Nathan's poetry that she writes in Sydney in like the mid to late seventies. And she's and she writes this story about this um young Takatapui um person who moves from you know, from Altero to Sydney, um, in order to to be who he is. Um or to be who she is, um, by the end of the poem. So um so there's this kind of there's this thing that happens in Whale Rider that we certainly don't get from the film. The film is a story about Maldives and maybe a few packets, right? The book is a story about Māori who are part of the Pacific, right? Um, not always in comfortable ways, right, so the nanny in the book in the book is kind of like hey don 't people in New Guinea like eat people and make sure you 're not put in a cooking pot so there 's a kind of acknowledgement of these this colonial views we 've had of the region, but ultimately, um, for me anyway, the whale writer makes this really important contribution to our understanding of who we are as Maori, and that is within the region um within the Pacific region, a Kaz is a Kaz.